Look at somebody and say, you're in the right place today. All right, and I'm going to tell you why. I've come to make an announcement to you this morning. And that announcement is, you are free. You're free. I remember hearing a story about uh, at the end of World War II, there was a, a group of people that had been taken prisoner in the Philippines. And among those uh, were some missionaries from America. And they had been put in this big old Quonson hut type barracks and had been in there for weeks and weeks and weeks. And all these Japanese soldiers was coming by and telling them how that America was falling, that America was surrendering, that America was losing the war when actually it was right the other way around. And they kept telling them this and telling them this. And so many of them lost hope. They got down in despair. And they didn't feel like that there was any way out. So they kept, kept listening to this. But these missionaries kept holding on to hope and believing God that in that midnight that they were experiencing that God was going to come through. They said that one day they heard a rumble in the sky outside. And as they could get to where they could look out a window and look up, said it seemed like the whole sky was overcast with shiny aluminum airplanes that had that star and circle on it, which was the symbol of the United States Air Force. And they came in and landed, and they began to rejoice. And it wasn't but a few days, or a few hours rather, till a big old soldier, a big old PFC soldier came and kicked that door in and his first words to those people were, you're free. You're free. Now, folks, that wasn't a, a, a commanding officer. It wasn't a general. It wasn't a lieutenant. It wasn't even a sergeant. It was a private from Hoboken, New Jersey, that came in and knocked that door down and said the rejoicing that went on inside that barracks when these people heard that they were free. And folks, I'm concerned that we take freedom for granted too many times. That we just, okay, I'm free. And when it comes to the Christian life, we are the same way. See, I believe we've taken freedom for granted in America. And that's the reason now to gain some things back, we're having to fight so hard because people have taken it for granted. And you say, well, what kind of freedoms are we losing? Well, just, just look around. You can't say nothing without offending somebody. And, and you can't, you know, you have to watch yourself or you get lambasted and, all, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The, the government factions or the government want to get on you and, and different ones being closed down. I read of a, a church this week that is just on the edge of a town and they have a farm out there, a 36-acre farm where they farm and they sell stuff out of their farm and that's how they make their living and they have a Bible study once a week. And at this Bible study, they'll give out Bibles. And the town council passed an ordinance and told them that they could not have that Bible study at their farm on their own private property anymore because it was inside the city limits. Yeah. Now, let me tell you something, folks. We're free. In America, we're free to a great extent. But when it comes to Jesus, we have been made completely free. He has set us free. 
And in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 36, And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Abide in his word, abide in his word. You've got to understand that. And he said, And you shall know the truth. You shall know the truth. And that, that has the sense of it, you shall come to know the truth. You know, I read the Bible this morning, and, and because I'm and even right now, because I'm reading the Bible right now, and I'm reading truth, you hear it, you receive it, but the more you continue in that, the more that you come to know the truth that's invested in the fact that we're free. You'll know that, he said, and you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him and said, We're Abraham's descendants, have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I don't want to be a slave of sin. Do you? I read in the book of Romans the other day, Loretta and I were reading, and it said, I'm no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to fear, no longer a slave to doubt. I'm a child of God. I'm not, I'm not a slave to these things anymore. But and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. And, and remember this, that term where he said indeed is like you sending out a text message. And you know how you do that sometimes or, or you reply to something on social media and you'll say it and you put a whole bunch of exclamation points out there just to say, hey man, this is how I really feel. Well, this is what Jesus is saying when he said indeed. It's like putting a whole bunch of exclamation points behind. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free. Exclamation, blah, 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 blah. He means it. And I thank God He does. Now, we're preaching this month on a series entitled, Why We Are Free. We're not free just because you read the Bible. You're not free just because Jesus died for you. You're free because you received that into your life. But why did He make us free? Now, I want you to know this. He didn't put us in religion. A lot of folks think, well, you know, I I quit the sinning business and I got religion. No, I didn't get religion. I got Jesus, and there's a whole big difference. You see, that word religion, and I know I've told you this before, but that word religion, it has its origin in the Latin language, and in Latin, religion carries the thought and the meaning of a return to bondage. We don't want to get out of one thing and get into something else, and He did not do that for us. He set us free. He gave us liberty. And you say, well, you mean it's not all right to say I got religion? Well, if you want to, just don't let it bind you down. I mean, if you're saying that to show a difference in your life, okay. But don't get so caught up in religion that you have to go by a bunch of rigid rules and regulations to prove you got something. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I don't go by those things to prove I got something. I go by those things because I got something. See, there's a difference. All right. Now, uh, I was preaching from last week's notes. <laughs> we're free to hear, hear why we are free. Number one, we're free to serve God and do, and do that free from guilt. Man, I heard a good story this week, and I've got to share this with you. This wasn't in my notes, and, I, and it's, it's right in line, so I'm not running a rabbit too far, okay? 
Too bad. You know, I do that sometimes. So anyway, in those in Old Testament days, when it come the Day of Atonement, they would bring one goat that would die and another goat that would be the scapegoat. And, and, and this one that would die, what they would do, the priest, would, the people would confess their sins and just say, like, I bring one, me and my wife, we bring one. And, and we got a goat, we got a, one that's going to die, and we got one that's going to be the scapegoat. And we bring it up there, and we tell the priest, uh, you know, what we've done all this last year. Now, can you imagine that day? Can you imagine how many wives are standing back looking at their husband like, Then it's the wife's turn, the husband said, I don't believe it. I can't. I mean, it was public thing. But they confessed all these sins. And they confessed these sins on this goat. And then he would put his hands on the scapegoat and do the same thing. Well, now the Bible says, if you go back and study this back in Leviticus, that they looked and they would find a fit man. Somebody that was able. Now, now they would... They, this fit man was, uh, he had to, he had a job to do. Because this first goat, the priest would take it and sacrifice it and the blood would be shed for the remission of sins. Then he would take the scapegoat and this fit man would come and take that scapegoat out in the wilderness. And he would have to go through rocks and, and over hills and through valleys. And he's trying to get this goat to where that the goat will not be able to find its way back to the camp because that goat represents a guilty conscience. Okay? All the sins on. So it stays out there. So he's got to go. And not only has this guy got to be in good shape to do this, he's got to be able to find his way back to the camp. And invariably it seemed like that they would take this goat out there, and for a while, man, all my sins are gone. I've been forgiven, but one day that goat shows back up again. I have to take it back out again the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and the next year. And they always went on, even though there had been forgiveness, they always went on under a guilty conscience, because that goat would come back that consciousness of sin would come back. Every year it seemed like that thing would come back and haunt the people. And they would come under this guilt again and they'd have to carry it till the Day of Atonement would come again. Let me tell you something. Moses said, I see him. He's not now. I see him. Prophet like unto me. And Jeremiah said, there's going to come a righteous branch. And Isaiah said he's going to be called Counselor, Wonderful, Marvelous, the Prince of Peace, and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because Jesus was going to come, and Jesus was going to do the job of both of those goats. Now listen to me. Jesus died on the cross, shed His blood for our sins. Got that? Then rose again the third day to take away the guilt of it. Hallelujah! You ought to give the Lord a hand clap. Now... We're free. Hebrews 9.14 says, The blood of bulls and goats could not do it. It could not take it away. But now Jesus, God has through Jesus taken away 
that guilty conscience so that we're free to serve the living God. Amen. I don't know if that meant anything to you or not, but boy, I tell you what, I'm still blessed on it. To know, to know that I don't have to, what, what I confess to Him is gone and there's no guilt in it as far as He's concerned, but Satan will bring it back up again. And all I got to do is point to the scapegoat. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Well, I, we're free to worship God. Now, we talked about that. We started that last week about worshiping God. And so there's some things I want to look at this morning. First of all, when we talk of worship, there's always that element of praise. Praise and worship goes together. Now, one thing that, one way that we can divide this and that we've come to do in our modern understanding is that praise is always things to Him or about Him, brother, and worship are things to Him. When we sing and worship and talk about Him, then, then we're praising Him. But when we're talking to Him, we're worshiping Him. That's the last song that we did that Jenny sang so beautifully. Didn't you think it was beautiful? Amen. That, that song that he said, she's talking to Jesus, and Jesus, I will worship you. I believe in you. I belong to you. It's just personal talking to Him. But there's this element of praise. And I want you to understand something, folks. Praise is beautiful. Now you say, well, boy, that ain't coming my, out of my mouth. I want, I want to remind you of something. You have the voice that God created you with. And His earthly choir is not complete without your voice in it. Because He makes all things perfect, God does not hear like man hears. See, you know, the Bible says God does not see like man sees. God looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. God does not hear like man hears. God hears from the heart. Not necessarily what's the sound that's coming out. He hears from the heart. So praise is beautiful. King James says praise is comely. It's comely. And I thought about that. Well, we've got a different understanding today of what comely is. Does comely is just something plain and ordinary, isn't it? But, but the actual meaning of that is that praise is beautiful. And, and let me show you this. In, uh, in Psalms 33 and 1, Psalms 33 and 1, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. Now here's, here is a, a word for us. The righteous, for praise from the upright, is beautiful. Are you the upright? Well, if you're a child of God, you are. You have the righteousness of God in you. And praise from you is beautiful to God, regardless of what it sounds like to you or anyone around you. Praise is beautiful to God. We need to realize that. Psalms 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant. Praise is beautiful. So, so when we praise Him, regardless of what it may sound like to anyone else, folks, we need to stick with that because it's ordained of God and God loves it. Praise for, for, of the righteous is good for both the praiser and the one we're praising, which is Almighty God. That's good for me because it makes me feel good. You know, if, if there's things that are going wrong and you begin to uh, put on a, a good praise song, it's just up and beat, you know, and... Uh, and just going on with it and getting into that thing, you know, and it begins to lift you up. 
Praise is beautiful for you. It's good for you when you begin to be down and out. He said, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Put, put this garment on it, that, that, and then it would take off that old spirit of heaviness and begin to praise God. Another place, he says, you've turned my mourning into dancing. You put off my sackcloth to the end of my days that all my praise will be for you forever and forevermore. So praise is, is glorifies Jesus, but it's good for me because it lifts my spirits. It lifts me up and causes me to feel better than what I did. So, and another thing too, praise and worship should be a lifestyle. So many times we worship and praise God in church when we've got it here. And that's okay. That's good. I think we need to. I think when we come together, it's beautiful. God's voices, corporate voices, blending together to lift up praise and worship to our God, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think that's beautiful. But you know what makes it even more beautiful? When it becomes a way of life for you, and you're worshiping and praising God, you're listening to praise and worship music, and you're, and you're doing it on your own uh, outside of church, and it becomes a daily part of your life. This is something the psalmist said in Psalms 34, 1. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm going to get a little bit out of the way here, but y'all bear with me. Can I? Is it all right if I say something not nice? Huh? Now, I'm not going to be like Bobby. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes Bobby, at her prayer time, she'll say, I'm going to tell you something that's not really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picking at her now. But anyway, but what I'm going to say is this. Me as a child of God developing a life of praise and worship, I don't need to continually fill my spirit with country and rock music. I need to fill my spirit with the Word of God. Now, there's some good songs and good music, and I'm not saying there's not, and I'm not telling you you're going to go to hell if you listen to that stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you that at all. I wouldn't, wouldn't at all. I, I love a, a, a wonderful, beautiful love song. One of my favorite songs that I like for Loretta is Joe Cocker. Any of y'all remember Joe Cocker? You are so beautiful to me. I love it. I, I like to listen to that. Boy, it just, you know, it just, and, and I remember there's a song that went back years ago that Conway Twitty talked about. He wants to sit by her in a rocking chair, grow old together. And that's fine. But now listen, we don't play Joe Cocker all the time at the house and when we're riding down the road, okay? I, I have got this addiction to praise and worship music, and I can't help it. You get in my automobile, either one of them, it's going to be on praise and worship music. You pick up my telephone and you punch up Pandora, it's going to be playing praise and worship music. And, and you say, well, that's just because you're a preacher. No, it's because I want a lifestyle of praise and worship to God. I want, I want to be able to say like the psalmist did, your praise shall continually be in my mouth. And you ought to read that Psalms 34 as he talks about the things that God does for those people that have that kind of attitude. Psalms 150, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Now here, now here gets us in the church. Praise God in His sanctuary. This, this. The church. 
and then we're the sanctuary. I remember years ago that this fellow told me that, that this woman came to him one Sunday morning and said, said, Pastor, there's people that's chewing gum in the sanctuary. And he said, no, you're wrong. She said, what do you mean? He said, the sanctuaries are chewing gum. This is a sanctuary. So I want to praise God in here. But then the next part of that says, praise Him in His mighty firmament. And that's out from here. That involves everywhere we go all the time. You say, well, well, preacher, folks will think I'm crazy if I just say praise God for everything. Well, I'm going to tell you something that I found out a long time ago. Even when I don't say praise God for everything, there's still folks that think I'm crazy. So if I'm going to be labeled, why not play the part, right? Just bless Him anyway. Hallelujah. And here's another thing. We praise Him when life is good, and we praise Him when life is not good. One of my favorite movies of all times it happens not to be a John Wayne movie. <laughs> I like John Wayne, but John Wayne don't praise the Lord real much in his movies, okay? So I limit my diet and intake. John Wayne, I like it because a good guy most of the time wins. Okay. But facing the giants. Man, I tell you what, there's so many spiritual truths in that movie. And I remember after they had revival at this school where this football team was, and, and I mean kids turned to the Lord, parents turned to the Lord, and, and, and it was so, they made it so real. I believe it actually happened, even though it's happened time and again, I'm sure, all over. And I never will forget a scene in that dressing room before a game. And that coach said to those boys, he said, Boys, if we win, we serve Him. If we lose, we serve Him. Win or lose, we're going to serve the Lord. And they all agreed to that. Folks, if I'm winning, I'm going to praise God. And if I'm not winning, I'm still going to praise God. Win or lose, I'm going to praise Him. And because I praise Him, folks, I am going to win. God's going to turn that thing around, and I'll show you that in a minute. Let me move right on. See, night, the, the word night, N-I-G-H-T, is seen in the Bible as representing not just when there's no sun shining. I saw this thing the other day. The day without sunshine is night all day long. But, uh, but I'm talking about... Well, thank you all for laughing at my silliness. I appreciate that. But night, so many times in Scripture, is characterized as being adversity, as being gloominess. And the word, Hebrew word for night comes from the same wording that means a long, dark, spiraling staircase that seems like it never ends. Any of y'all ever been there on that? I mean, the night time comes, and I'm not talking about when it gets dark after a while sometime this evening. But I'm talking about when when you go through times in your life when darkness is there, and it looks like every step you take, things get darker. Things get tougher. And it's just like you're on a winding, spiraling staircase, and you're trying to go up, but it seems like everything you're doing is going down. Difficulties come in life. Mark mentioned earlier about there's a lot of preachers that have you believe that nothing bad is going to happen to you now that you're a child of God. I'm telling you, that's not so. I've told you many times, life happens regardless of whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. 
Things come, things go, things break, things happen. Bad news is on there. You know, the bad news that's on the television is not good if you're a Christian. Of course, you can take it with a better attitude, but it's still bad for everybody, right? I mean, when it rains in this area, it rains on all of us in this area, don't it? God don't say, well, you know, that fellow's a Christian, that one's not, so I'm going to let it rain here and not there. Or, you know, he don't, he don't do that. Wind, wind is not selective. It blows on everybody. So stuff happens. And we all go through a night time. There's times of despair and circumstances that come in our life when it seems like it's dark and it's gloomy and there's really no way to go and nothing we can do. But I'm going to tell you something. The Word of God says that God will give us a song in the night. Think about that. He will give us a praise. He will give us something to pray about. Mark read out of Job. I'm going to read out of Job too. Also, in Job 35 and verse 10, this is Elihu speaking. Now, Elihu's the young guy. You know, Job and his three miserable comforters, and he called them that, miserable comforters, are you all. It's like something out of Shakespeare, but Job said that. And, and they had been doing all of this junk and, and telling Job how bad he was and how awful he was and how terrible God is and all of these things. And Elihu come along, he said, wait a minute, guys, I've been sitting here, I've listened to all of this junk day after day, and I've listened to all you had to say. And he says, look, I thought wisdom was going to speak, and wisdom hadn't said a word. I've listened to those kind of people talk, hadn't you? You know, that you think wisdom is going to say something that never comes. It never happens. So if you used to read chapter 35, he's talking about how that, that they, you know, they blame God for this and they blame God for that. But they didn't realize that there was a goodness of God. And in Job 35, 10, he says, But no one says, Where's God my Maker who gives songs in the night? And he's saying, Job, if you'd get a song and allow your Maker to give you a song and start singing it from your heart, then things can change around in your life. And I'm going to tell you the same thing too. In the midst of all your despair, in the midst of your darkness, if you'll just begin to praise and worship the Lord, it'll begin to change that thing around. It'll begin to have a different effect on you and and on the darkness that's around you. If you'll just begin to do that, you say, well, when I'm that way, I don't feel like praising the Lord. When you're that way and don't feel like praising the Lord, it's time that you quit going on your feelings and say, hey, this is what I know to do, and I'm going to start doing what I know to do. And when you do what you know to do, it won't be long that you'll be doing what you're feeling. Because you'll start feeling better. Amen? Psalms 42, verse 8. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Isaiah thirty twenty nine, You shall have a song, as in the night when a holy festival is kept. And gladness of heart is when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. You shall have a song as in the night when the holy festival. Just like you can have a song in the night, just like a party's going on. You see that? Just like a party's taking place. You can have a song in the night. 
How, and if you say, well, how can you have a party if there's not just but one of you? Have a party by yourself. And if you'll do that, then you only got one party pooper to contend with, and that's the devil. Have a party. I mean, if you have to, get out the party hats. Go get you a soda or a cup of coffee. Get you a snack, something, and, and listen to some music or begin to sing. Have a party. Instead of letting the doldrums and the, the night things and all of this stuff continue to put you on, pull you on. Folks, I'm telling you, I know depression is real. I've been on the borderline of it myself in times, but I've heard people talk about it that experience depression. And, and the medications that doctors want to put you on because of depression. And, and I understand that. But let me tell you, if you today could just get a hold of what I'm telling you, and begin to look to God and allow Him to give you a song in the night. And begin to sing that. And begin to rise up out of that situation. It'll make all the difference in the world. I know what I'm talking about. It's so. Psalm 77. In Psalm 77, verse 6. I had a marker there, but I tore it out. Psalm 77, verse 6 says, you got it on your screen, you got there before I did. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. If you read this whole Psalms, you'll see that, that the psalmist, and this is not David, by the way, this is Asa. And he sent this song over to the worship leader because evidently, there was a lot of people in Israel at this time that was down and out. And Asa wrote this, this psalm, and he sent it over to uh, Jephthah, the worship leader, and said, this is what you need to sing on the Sabbath day at the temple and get people up out of their doldrums. Because it talks about in the first part of this psalms how that people were down and out. That he says, man, it just don't look like that God was anywhere. But he said, I remembered by song in the night. I remembered that song that God gave me. I remembered the words of, I will worship. I will bow down. I will come before the King. I remember these words, and, and, and I begin to do that. And then, as he comes on down, he, he begins to say then, Oh, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as you? You're the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. He said, the water saw you and they parted, talking about the Red Sea. So the lightning came and, and, and went where you, where you directed it to, and the skies that they let out a sound, and, and your arrows flashed about, and he just begins to worship and praise God and give himself before the Lord. In verse 6, he said, you give me a song in the night, and this is, going to, this is going to entertain you right here now. How many of you love the devil? I'm glad nobody raised their hand. No love for him in here, right? <clears throat> You know, we're not to slander each other. We're not to make fun of each other. We're not to bully each other. But folks, the devil is fair game. We can slander him. We can make fun of him. 
and we can bully him. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, when greater is he that sent me than he that sent the world. In verse 6 it says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. There's several words in the Hebrews for the word song. But here the word song is the Hebrew word niginath. You say, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you. It means a song of ridicule and mocking or taunting song. When we begin to sing songs of praise and worship to God, it ridicules and taunts the devil. I mean, it begins to put him in his place. That's the reason that, that praise, when we begin to praise him, it makes the devil move out of the way and we see the glory of God come in. You mean, you mean if I just start praising God, it's a slander on the devil? It's exactly what it is. I mean, when you have on that garment of praise, you become a spiritual bully to the devil. And every word of praise to God, every word that magnifies Jesus, slaps Him right in the face. And He gives you that song in the night. Depression can't stay around. Sadness can't stay around. Gloom and doom can't stay around. This old dark state can't stay around. And I'm going to tell you something. That spiral staircase then will become like an escalator. And you can ride that thing all the way to the top. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Midnight. When it's the darkest, bleakest, and the most terrifying part of the night. We need to learn to praise God. I know you know the story of Paul and Silas, and I won't take but a minute to talk about that. How that they had been arrested, falsely accused, beat within an inch of their life, and chained in a dark dungeon, infested with sewer and rodents, all of these kind of things, and they're chained in this dungeon. Now, I don't know what time of the day they got put in there. Evidently, it was before dark. But it come along about midnight. And Paul and Silas began to sing praises to God. And as they did, there was an earthquake. Their chains fell off of them. The prison was open, and they were able to come out of that thing. Now, folks, God is able to do the same thing in our life. If something's got you bound down, begin to praise God, and that thing will let you go so you can truly praise God then. And magnify God. They, they got out of that thing. And not only did they get out of it, but people got saved because of it. The darkest, bleakest time. When it seems like it's been so long since dark. And it looks like it's going to be so long till it comes to be daylight. As you begin to praise God, you'll see things begin to differ. Understand this. As I'm closing... You all know when I say I'm closing, I'm closing. I remember one preacher we had one time that he said uh, that he was like a real estate agent. He had multiple closings. And he used every one of them. (laughs) And Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. It talks about the, the armies of Babylon coming into Jerusalem and Judah and the things that happened. How they laid the land so desolate. 
And there was no reason anymore in Jerusalem to praise God. But the prophet Habakkuk was there. And he says, he makes this statement. Though the fig trees may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, that, that sounds pretty bad, don't it? In other words, it looks like I lost my job. My car and my house has got repossessed. My family hasn't got anything to eat, hardly. Our clothes is tattered and worn out. I can't even grow a garden. The ground's so hard. The seeds won't sprout. The plants won't grow. And all of these things. All of, even though all of these things are going on. Listen to what he said. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. In the midst of all of these things. And then verse 19 says, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high places. The high places. Now, he's not, he's not just talking about get you up on a hilltop. Let me tell you something, folks. When you're on the high places, that means you have come out on top. And whatever the situation is, if it's finances and you, you're down, it looks like nothing's going to come together. When you begin to worship the Lord and follow Him and look to Him as the Almighty, He'll bring you out on top. Physical things, He'll bring you out on top. Mental problems, He'll bring you out on top. Regardless of any area that you want to go to, when you lay all of this junk aside that has been going on and concentrate on worshiping and praising and blessing the Lord, you'll come out on top. That don't mean you'll lose your hair. But it means you're going to be on top of your circumstances. God raised Jesus up, and He put Him in heavenly places. And when you and I made Jesus Lord of our life, He raised us up together in those heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And listen where He's at today. He's far above all principality, all power, all might, and all dominion, and every name that is named. He's the head of the body. We're His body, and He's given all things under His feet. Folks, I'm here to tell you today that whenever I develop a life, praise, and worship, and I'm free to do that. And the more I do it, the more free I am. When I develop that life of praise and worship, I want you to know every step I take is above the problems and the circumstances and the situations in this life. It's up to me. It's up to me. I'll make a decision today that I'm going to bless the one that can do it. Like Habakkuk said, even though all of this stuff is desolate and there's no reason to even be here, I'm going to trust the Lord. He's going to take me up and I'll be on top. Y'all bow your heads with me. Father, how we thank you today. Oh, Jesus.